Well, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Friends of the National Library event. My name is Robin Oates, and I'm the chair of the Friends Committee. We're very pleased this afternoon to be able to host the book launch of the latest National Library of Australia publication, My Salute to Five Bells, by John Olson. As we begin, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of this land. I thank their elders, past and present, for caring for this land. The Friends always look forward to launching new library publications, and we're delighted that we can host events such as the one this afternoon to celebrate the splendid books that are produced by the library. This book, My Salute to Five Bells, is really something special. Not only is it a beautiful book to look at, but as Barry Pierce, Emeritus Curator of the Australian Art Gallery, uh, Australian Art at the Art Gallery of New South Wales, puts it in his foreword. He writes, It privileges us with rare insight into the artist's engine room, moving between agitato and lento, eloquence of thought and text, and the emotional, intellectual, and visual struggle towards the unknown of how his this public masterpiece might turn out to be. In My Salute to Five Bells, John Olson talks about the inspiration for his striking mural at the Sydney Opera House. This inspiration was the poem Five Bells by Kenneth Slessor. Many, many Australians know and love this poem. John I think there was a, a very generous genius at work here because you also say that you wanted poetry to be part of the sum of the work. This elegiac poem of the harbour, of light and dark, of life and death, contains human universals that speak to us all in Slessor's words and in your art. The centrepiece of this book is Olson's Opera House Journal, in which he combines images, sketches and notes and ponders his artistic journey. A selection of the images from the book can be seen on the screen behind me. John Olson has been one of Australia's most consistently honoured artists over his professional life and his work is represented in most Australian public collections. He was awarded an OBE for services to the arts in 1977 and an Order of Australia in 2001. We're very grateful to John for agreeing to appear in conversation in this event today. Joining John Olson to discuss his art journal and the poetic inspiration for his magnificent Sydney Opera House mural, and his long and illustrious career, is Dr Deborah Hart, Senior Curator of Australian Painting and Sculpture after 1920 at the National Gallery of Australia. Deborah has long studied the work of John Olson and is the author of a book about his career entitled, quite simply, John Olson. Please join me in welcoming John Olson and Deborah Hart 
to the stage. Thank you very much for that kind introduction and uh, it's a great pleasure to be here today to um, talk about this wonderful um, new publication that has come out, been published by the National Library of Australia and it's just great to have John here to talk to us and give us some insights into that particular project and his working methods. John, hello. <laughs> I, um, I'd like to start by just thinking about how you really changed our way of looking at the Australian landscape when you came back to Sydney after your first trip to Europe. And people think about this re-envisioning of place, of landscape, but the sea is something that's always been important to you as well, hasn't it? How has the sea fed into that in your life and in your art? Well, uh, being brought up in Sydney, you can't escape it. You know, that wonderful, that wonderful blue bitch goddess called Sydney Harbour. And, uh, and it cradles itself because remembering the geography of uh, Sydney Harbour, that the, the hills come down to the harbour and it's like a great big bath. <laughs> and if you have love in you, it gets you. <laughs> and it's fantastic. Um, and uh, the, uh, the other thing is that being brought up in Sydney, yes, but there was also the thing that we lived at Bondi. And, uh, and, and there is a difference in an Australian child and a Mediterranean child, the same, born under the sun. And, and those that are born under the sun, it leaves a gravure in them. It, it stains their personality forever. Like for me... You can't take the Bondi out of the boy. <laughs> yeah, Sorry. thank you. So, so that ties in really well with this time when you'd been away from Australia as a young artist. You just left art school and you came back to Sydney and you really made this huge impact on the place. And over that next period, we have works like Journey into the U Butte Country and Sydney Sun, which is in the National Gallery of Australia's collection. And interestingly, also... Um, in that uh, 60s period, you did, um, salute, you did Five Bells, which is hanging in the Art Gallery of New South Wales. Mm. Can you tell us a little bit about the atmosphere in Sydney in the early 1960s when you came back after living in an old Mediterranean culture? What was Sydney uh, like well, then? <coughs> yes. Uh, a very thing, a very interesting thing happened to me is... Um, like, I, I must tell you that, say, to be a, a student in the 40s and early 50s, a student of art, that it was entirely a close community and, and in a way that you'd dedicated your life to 
pecuniary is, is the underestimation of it and um, that you had to be driven you had to be dedicated to um, what you're driven by and um, in search there was no hope like um, when I uh, uh, because my parents were um, they brought me up during the, uh, the depression years and, uh, 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 and severely bruised by it. And so when I announced at the dinner table that I was going to leave my job at David Jones and um, I was going to be a cleaner and, um, and that I was going to study out uh, full time, and uh, my mother's reaction was, um, what will the neighbours say? <laughs> and the uh, second thing of walking back towards the bedrooms, my father said, um, well, son, you're going to be mixing with a lot of strange people. <laughs> and he was right. <laughs> But so is humanity, very strange. <laughs> so I, 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 um, I began to voyage in this, this wonderful thing. And what, what, uh, what I, can, I can say to you all, art is never-ending. And, and to see and to try to understand the wonderful images... It's just the greatest privilege of my life and it's endless and what I'm pleased to say, fantastic, <laughs> fantastic to be involved and really to look at the pictures of um, Van Eyck, uh, Memley, of um, Manet and understand what Dejeuner Celeb is really about and then to sort of face up to modernism and then to witness, I, I don't know whether it's my age or something but, but I think that in the West at the moment there is a decline. There is a, a decline not only in art but there is a decline in the in the central sense of, of our morality and of our and literature and poetry. Poetry has been severely bruised by, um, um, say, the American poet. Those free verse things of William Carlos Williams, um, and 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 I can view of it and and you can make up your own minds about this but but I can see I can see decline and and I think that the avant-garde is ridiculous because of its emphasis on newness and newness never entered the minds of the great masters newness never was a, um, a central plank of Giotto through to Botticelli. Newness was never 
a plank of Angra or of Poussin, that newness in no time finishes up to be merely fashion. So we cannot disconnect ourselves too easily from the canon. And the canon is the greatest sculpture ever produced was Egyptian, is Egyptian. And even Francis Bacon acknowledges that. And then it trails itself through the Mediterranean to, um, uh, to Greece. And the, and the archaic Greek thing is the influence by trading ships of Egyptian art. And through then it goes through Rome and it's Italian and it's terrific. And then it gets into the North Countries in which the North Country says, we are not going to have this idealisation that we see in Italian art. We want to see people more, more like what they are. Rembrandt, Van Eyck, Memling, wonderful things, wonderful things. It makes the Archibald Prize ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> and I've been a judge of that. <laughs> so, so this is what I mean. I like my vertical spine. I like that I stand for something. I like that I know what good drawing is. I like that. You know, and that makes art for me something that is so important in the architect of not only ourselves, but our life. We think it differently. We think of poetry, which has had an, an, an enormous effect on me because of its ability of the extended metaphor. And uh, as you can see, I feel okay. <laughs> well, I think um, there are a few things in what you've just said that I think are really important. I, I was lucky enough, by the way, to actually meet um, John's mum when I was researching uh, my book on John Olson. And I remember her very proudly saying how, how John had loved drawing from early on, that, that John actually used to draw in the margins of her cookery books. And uh, that was a lovely memory. And also of, of John's um, sense of theatre, which I think um, is about a love of words and is really pertinent to what we're doing today and to this idea that you're, you've just mentioned about, yes, you know, things were new and fresh, but there's also the sense of an underpinning tradition and a love of poetry which comes through, um, you know, your love of T.S. Eliot, of um, um, E. Cummings, of, of people like, um, oh, how can I forget, Gerard Manley Hopkins particularly, and, and Lorca, but it's like a, a coloration of place, isn't it, John? And, and I wonder if you can tell us a bit about how you came across, we were just talking about it before, um, Sless's poem in relation to the commission for Salute to Five Bells. It was an incredible thing. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, James Gleeson uh, uh, asked me to lunch. James Gleeson was the chairman of the Nobel Foundation. And, uh, and, and he said to me uh, after several Chardonnays. Um, uh, 
would I like to do something in the Sydney Opera House? And I said, well, of course, of course I would. And uh, so we designated a, a, a space, a, a, a very big space. I'll, I'll use the old metric, the old system, 70 foot long, and it's curved like a, a, a like a Japanese bridge. And uh, but then after the initial uh, uh, excitement of that, uh, I thought, well, yes, that's all very well, but what? And uh, this is where I think in 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 our life that we have to have a sense of serendipity, and of all things, like like uh, I always admired Slessor, but I reached for a book. I can remember this very very clearly. And I put it down on the table, and it opened at five bells. An incredible, incredible thing. And as I'm sure you all appreciate, the, the, uh, 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 the very controversial nature of the Opera House in which that um, it was costing far too much and we ought to have more schools and more hospitals and um, and um, there was no foreseeable end to it and the media of course just just really ran so heavily over the top of that in fact after the Sydney Opera House I'll just say this in addendum never was the public building quoted as a price again even the new Parliament House and the extensions of the Parliament House in uh, in uh, Sydney, New South Wales. Uh, and so I stumbled across these, these lines. Time that is moved by fidget wheels is not my time. The wheels that do not move between the double and the single bell, there lies Joe, long since dead, who lies between five bells. Wow, and there, there is this space, and it's looking east and west uh, across the harbour. And Utzon uh, had gone, and, the, and 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 at that time, it's hard to it's hard for us to grasp this. They were thinking of pulling the whole lot down. Extraordinary. And uh, anyhow. Uh, that did not uh, prevail. And I wrote to Utzon, who was then in Denmark, and I said to him, look, here's this thing, um, this kind of bridge. How should I deal with it? And Utzon's terms were very, very straight. Make it move east to west and become part of the harbour. So... Then I'm beginning to like focus on this, and um, and I'm thinking to myself, well, all right. But then the poem picks up again, which gives the the overall coloration of the mural itself. Deep and dissolving verticals of light. Ferry the falls of moon shine down. Five bells. It's moonlight. 
And what I had then, and the, what this book describes is, as I struggled to get this coloration of moonlight on Sydney Harbour. It, it took a lot of time to really work that one out. The, the book tells you all, uh, all about that. And, um, and then there's a narrative. So I go and see Ken Slessor who's in the last years of his life and he's at the Journalist Club. His life at that time was uh, very empty. And, and I told him and uh, he said, oh, yeah, that five bells thing. <laughs> yes, he said. Um, well, we used to drink at a hotel in Phillip Street, Sydney, which was up from a newspaper that we worked for called Smith's Weekly. And anyhow, it was one Friday night and a group of us was there and we heard that there was a party at Mossman. And one of the artists there was Joe Lynch. And it was the time, as you'll understand, six o'clock closing. And... Um, so uh, it, 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 was, it was a cold night and, and Joe's stuffed two beer, bottle, two beer bottles in, in the sides of his pockets. And Slesser then described him, there was much gentility. I don't quite know what that means. <laughs> but anyhow, they, they, they go down to Circular Quay and they get on the Mossman Ferry and Joe is sort of standing by himself at the rear of the ferry and a, a huge liner went past and rocked the ferry and in, in no time the, the, the question was asked, where's Joe? Joe had fallen down, fallen into the sea and of course went straight to the bottom <laughs> because of the beer bottle uh, and his body was never found. So there's lines of where, in, in Five Bells, in which, where are you, dead man? Uh, and uh, it's, it's interesting, and, uh, uh, you know, I, I can't really fathom it, except that I think the best of Slessor is a very good poet indeed. And um, why, why it's become one of the best known poems of Australian poetry. Uh, it, it's, it's got a sort of a modern style about it, but very beautifully structured. It's, uh, you know, it's, it, it's, it, it, it somehow explains itself so well. So uh, really, um, My Five Bells is a narrative. It's a story. And if it's properly observed, which this book gives the key to... Um, that there is Joe Lynch uh, sinking into, into the harbour and he's becoming attached to squids and things like that. He's becoming part of a part of the uh, harbour. Uh, it's very, um, very moving for me. It's, it's probably one of the great things in my life and the other thing, quite contradictorily, is Lake Eyre. Mm. 
I think one of the things that really comes through in, in the five bells, and you get a, a sense of it in some of the images, and when John's talking about the, the colour, this quite mystical purpley blue that gives that feeling of nighttime and the little touches of moonlight. And, um, and spatially, it's very different. I mean, you might like later on to come and look at... Um, John's earlier version of um, the, the poem, um, Five Bells, which is of a very different time in your life and also a, a different spatial quality comes into it, I think, because of that long sweep that you've talked of. But I think, in fact, um, some of the things that you'll see coming up on the screen also allude to your interest in Zen Buddhism and, uh, you know, this idea of, of space, of the fullness of emptiness. I think it's something that um, I observed in, in your journals really early on, that uh, there was this interest that came through. I think you were given a book by Paul Hefliger. Yes. There's that D.T. Suzuki. Um, yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Zen's influence on Japanese culture and Oriental classics. Uh, <clears throat> there is a very interesting aspect <coughs> of um, of Oriental philosophy is this that emptiness is its fullest fullness, mm-hmm. uh, and it probably corresponds to latterly why I became interested in Lake Eyre, because Lake Eyre, on one point of view, is mostly a a, a very dense, thick salt lake. In fact, the land speed test was broken in in, in on Lake Eyre. Uh, and uh, it's full of emptiness. Mm-hmm. It's full of emptiness. And it's the lowest point below sea level in Australia. And so when does it fill? And it fills when they have um, heavy rain in uh, western Queensland, which is called the, ca- the Channel Country. And then it's... Um, Heavy rain in the Flinders Ranges and heavy rain in Alice Springs and comes down like to this vast space. It's so vast that, say, when you um, are flying there and you reach the edge of the lake and it's full of water, you cannot see the horizon. And so it re-emphasises what Sturt thought Australia had as an inland sea. And it is remarkable because this dry, arid silence becomes seagulls. Seagulls nesting, thousands of pelicans. The lake is full of of fish and it is just like a, a vast inland sea. It's a wonderful thing and... Can you imagine that, and this is a wonderful thing about uh, being Australian and being in a, in a very old con- continent, uh, is that unlike Europe, in which it's had great poets, musicians and artists that have honed and translated what that landscape means, Australia isn't like that. You, you know, it, it's it's open for new discovery, and 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 uh, and and I find that uh, particularly 
particularly challenging. That's, yeah. Sorry, John. Um, I mean, I think that that's really beautiful, the way that the, the Opera House mural actually forms like this bridge between your earlier work and, you know, after being in Sydney, you went down to Dunmuchen in Victoria and then you're working on the Opera House and then it goes on to Lake Eyre and, and in a way, the Opera House mural contains, condenses a lot of things but so does this um, journal which has been so beautifully published because what you get in the journal is that thinking, it's like the discursiveness, it's the little notations. I mean, there are pages with notes about things I like. And I love that about journals. And I wonder if you can tell us a little bit about the role that journals play in the making of your art. Like, how would a day go when you, you make your entries? Uh, well, well, the fascinating thing, uh, for me anyway, because uh, as you probably surmise that, that I could have had aspirations to being a writer but I suffered from galloping out in the tertiary stages and, uh, and I couldn't find a doctor that could operate. Uh, but... Um, uh, say that again. So, so when, you know how um, with your journals, yeah. they're, they're quite an important part of your, your working process, isn't it? In, in the morning, for example, yes. would you, um, do you work on your journals every day? Uh, no, I, no, I don't. I, I only write when I feel I have something to say. I mean, Fred Williams, my dear friend, the journals are absolutely ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> because it goes like, at the top of the page, there's sort of rain coming down from, from a bad drawing of clouds, or sunny day, da-da, da-da. And then I had fish and chips for lunch and... Uh, so, 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 I, I don't really, I cannot subscribe to to that notion, and so the the journals are full of what I feel important to say. They mightn't be to somebody else, but what I feel important to say. And uh, there is a, 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 an interesting thing for the, those of you who write, I'm sure there's a lot here, here, or, here or keep a journal, is that one's thoughts are very fleeting, but when you begin to write, it leads you to areas that you wouldn't normally talk about. And it's by, it's by beginning, as T.S. Eliot was, in the beginning is my end, is that it's that writing and then suddenly an idea comes into your head which normally, for me anyway, I would not be able to get that far, get that far with it. So, so the journals, therefore, is a, a reminder of self. Uh, sort of... Uh, so, so they're not... Even though the journal is... Uh, derivation is a day, but that's quite different from a day-to-day -day diary. Yeah, yeah. 
I mean, I think it's very interesting. You know, I'm sure any of us who've done research in this room know the importance of letters or documents from the time and actually taking you into that. And so along with things I like and, and notations and drawings, you also, in this journal, take us right into things like the struggle of what it was to make that opera house mural, you know, and I'm sure even looking back it would be hard to, to capture that. So I'm just going to um, read a tiny little bit where you've um, had this this huge struggle and you've gone in and you've you've really felt this, 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 you know, I think people really underestimate the huge struggle of commissions like this and being in this public the public spotlight. And I think, John, when, when the mural went into the opera house, it was quite delicate and you felt like you had to go in and work into it. But here's just a little bit. You say, you say um, we have had a good day working, but it's been quite hideous with the heckling from the workmen. It's been really rough. There we are, quietly working, that miraculous silence of a brush moving, and suddenly I'm aware of someone standing beside me. Hey, sport, what's this about? One character kept yelling out. Um, you'll, you'll be sued for this. And, of course, the old weary one, my child could do better. Good. I know a good dealer I could recommend him to. <laughs> you know, but it really does take you into that, that sort of sense of the, the intimacy and the struggle that is part of it. And just to go back for a, a moment to that salute to Five Bells, I mean, that was a, a huge project to undertake, wasn't it? And... Um, you know, just going from the the experience of working in the was it a warehouse that you were working in a big yes, shed, a big wool shed. Yes, with a couple of bouncers from King's yes, Cross who yes, were your I needed helpers. Them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, it's um, I'm returning. It, it, it's interesting. At the end of it, I, I'm, I'm I'm really a nervous wreck. Um, I felt so fragile and uh, and uncertain about being correct and whether I, I'd really I'd really done it and um, it, 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 uh, it, it's a kind of a crisis and uh, the decision to put the unfinished mural into the opera house itself um, was probably right, but it, 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 it allowed, uh, like, interference in people. And I really needed those two King's Cross bouncers to keep them away. And that, that to say the least, was very, very tough. Mm. And... Um, And then comes the point that you leave and the mural's got to look after itself. Mm. Uh, because you see, uh, I'm sure you see, that when you're in a studio, that it's just this rapport between you and a canvas. Yes. The rapport that uh, Cezanne had with Mons and Victoire, the rapport that Van Gogh had with the Sunflower. That's entirely... A personal thing, but when you go public, as Tiepolo does in Venice, that it's a different kind of thing that you're going public, 
and somehow there is the enforcement of something that's beyond just a studio picture. Uh, it's, a, it's, 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 a very, it's a very difficult situation and, and you've got to have the right, the right temperament for it. And, and I can pride myself of having the right temperament, but at the end of it, that opera house really, really had me just absolutely, absolutely shattered. Yeah. Uh, very tough, very tough because the media, which never apologises for anything, even though wrong, uh, that it, it's unforgiving and, and what I've just said is you leave the mural then and it has to speak for itself. And this for me is, is a particularly... Like a, a great moment, because this is a renaissance of my thoughts forty five years ago, mm. and the struggle it it contains and there it was that all the controversy that no one will ever go to the opera house was the mantra why aren 't we building hospitals and schools and all that kind of thing and what really happened? was that the Opera House became almost the symbol of Australia itself. It's a remarkable, it's a remarkable transition that we've all witnessed. That, that this, this, this piece, this sail-like thing, or as Utzon said, you know, it's really slices of oranges. Um, this sail-like thing could somehow coalesce itself to be a symbol of a city and even more than that, a symbol of the optimism of Australia. My God, architecture can be good. <laughs> just, just imagine, just imagine the expectation that was centred about 200 years that it took to build Chartres Cathedral, hmm? where the builders there would begin as young men and never see the end of it. And it's coming up, and it's coming up, and it's pointed like that towards scraping the heavens, which was the attempt of Gothic, to come up, and there you have something that is a symbol of the human spirit. I, I think that's, like, to our heart, that is vital. Mm, that's wonderful. And I think, um, you know, that is something that really comes across in the Opera House, but also I think this is called Salute to Five Bells, but I think there is a salute to John Olsen in your courage to um, actually do something quite elegiac, you know, that it is a very poetic, um, mysterious, beautiful work that connects so well with the harbour. And, you know, I think there's something about you, John, that comes through so much in, in your journals um, and in this beautiful publication, which is that sense that no matter how tough things get, you seem to be able to get that pendulum to swing back to the magic of, of nature, which is, in fact, what you went on 
to do straight after the mural. You were, you were um, going off and, and on wildlife expeditions and looking at the, the miracle of a, a frog leaping in the air of something um, quite miraculous in nature. And so I know that we need to leave some time for questions. I don't know if <laughs> you want to say anything show about me the that. Book a minute. <laughs> I'll just show you all. Uh, because I'll, I'll, after um, uh, doing the mural, you can say, well, what do you do next? You see, it's a, it's a huge dilemma, and uh, and there was no... Yes, I'll answer. There's a drawing of my dilemma. <laughs> and um, it, it's a hard one, but but... Uh, it's it's a strange thing that as I've grown older, like, like uh, 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 many artists like Lloyd Rees, for example, can see like a whole thing. But what what's happening to me is that I can see the particular beauty of um, the detail of nature, like one colour against another colour. And with me, it's happening in a different way, a particularization and observation of the particular. Mm. I'm repeating the word particular. Uh, and it, it, and it, it's a strange thing. And uh, my, and my, my, uh, my inner voice says, look, but look harder. <laughs> You know, mm. and just to see, like, and I am reminded of, of, of Auden, that he went and gave a semester to students at Harvard. And there they they're all eager to hear what Auden has to say. And Auden goes to the uh, to the to the tap of the glass of class and fills it full of water and says to the, to the poets, write a poem about that. <laughs> now, if you really think of water, mankind, water, thirst, water sharing, holy, water in a glass, a prisoner, it goes on and on and on. But it begins with the observation of the particular. And that's the thing that's fascinating uh, me at the moment. For me, there is no theory of colour that really works the same. And, and, and Mark Rothko talks about this as well. Is that like the German theory of um, Albers, uh, of, of, of colour relationships, and, uh, and Rothko's uh, own thing is... You learn colour by looking, and I, and I believe that absolutely, because the multifarious variations that you get in nature can never be invented, mm. and it's only when you decide, I'll stop, and I'm going to look, and it's glory be to God for dapple things, <laughs> for skies as couple coloured as a brinded cow, for rose moles on a trout that swims, fish fire, chestnuts, finches' wings, 
whatever is fickled, freckled. Who knows why? Praise him. <laughs> Thank you, John. That's lovely. It's a good, good note to end. Thank you, John, and thank you, Deborah. And thank you, John, for Jared Manley Hopkins to finish on. How wonderful. It now gives me great pleasure to officially launch my salute to Five Bells. It's an exceptional book that provides an insight into the process undertaken by an artist in creating a major work and the pressures internal and external pressures associated with this. We also benefit from the time and distance between creation of the work and this publication of its genesis. I think recollection and reflection enrich these journal notes of the artist in process. And I highly recommend this publication to you. Before we move on to questions from the audience, I'd like to invite Margie Byrne, the National Library's Assistant Director General for Australian Collections and Reader Services, to join me on the stage. Margie. John Olson's advised me that he has a very special announcement that he'd like to make today. So, John, the floor is yours with Margaret. Uh, well, uh, ladies and gentlemen, it's, uh, it's my great pleasure to uh, uh, give to the library a book that I only finished yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, uh, and it has my uh, predictions about the Archibald Prize, <laughs> which are entirely wrong. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and, and, and I forgot that the Archibald Prize, which I, I judged for a number of years, the Archibald Prize is a chook raffle. <laughs> so... Um, and she won. <laughs> no, so, so pardon me. Um, and uh, uh, can I write something? Uh, can I read something from this present one in which that uh, that I thought that the portrait of Betty Churchill was was the one that that I would have voted for. And um, dear me. Just, somewhere, yes. Just a moment. Um, here we go. It's my eyes. The newspaper has just published a full page of paintings that are accepted for this year's Archibald Prize. Though there are some, uh, there are a few paintings that are, are good. Sadness, it's a sorry lot. Overall, uh, one... Look, I've... I've uh, Do you want me to help? Senses a decline. Senses a decline in... Sorry about this. 
uh, overall, one senses a decline in the, in the faith of humanity as a species, we are flawed. Uh, the First and Second World Wars uh, and, the and the atom bomb confirmed this. The canon of the Greek ideal of the human figure seemed to be absurd. Uh, after the wars, Picasso's distortions became um, more, violent. more violent and all de, Kooning, de Kooning's women and Francis Bacon's portraits give an image of excretia and slime. Humanity down the drain as he wished his own body would go on his death. There is in Lucian Freud's portraits an attempt to reclaim some of the lost grounds, not always successful, where he imposes the grotesque what certainly remains is anybody's uh, anxiety. anxiety and natural state of man. I think Peter Church's uh, deathbed portrait of his mother would pass profoundly. profoundly as a statement of the complexity of life. Uh, the Archibald Prize has been cursed by... Uh, some of the entrants overuse of photography and not understanding the empathetical eye sees things entirely different uh, from the camera's lens. That's so obvious. Look, when, when you're doing a portrait, you are looking at all aspects of, of that face and, and, I, and if you're a good portrait painter, you always say to the sitter, Keep talking, because it allows that form of interrogation and you're putting it onto a, a single surface, a single surface, and so therefore, like in a really good portrait, there are layers of experience. Now, look, I, I, I think my, uh, photography is a, is a wonderful thing, but the kind of thing that I'm talking about is wow, if you're good enough. Wow. You know, because, as Yates, put, uh, as Yates puts it, conceive my heart away tied to a dying animal that knows not what it is. How wonderful that is. And it's that kind of thing that I think that the human image is so vital to us because it's a gaze and a concentration towards humanity. Very important. Very important. Because, you know, and I'll use Auden again, unless we love one another, we shall die. Yeah. Yes. And uh, just the last moment, I'd like to read a poem of mine on drawing. Yeah. Uh, it's called A Note on Drawings. 
First stop in wonder. Gaze. Fall into an interrogative tumble pause. Pick up charcoal. Mark what is prominent, scarred by life's furrows. A blackened smear renders time and place better to struggle and bring Yates. Oh, no, but, uh, of doing uh, better to struggle and doing what Yates uh, says is difficult than to be shipwrecked by facile fingers. <laughs> yeah, and okay. it's that. So, it's my pleasure, with the last thoughts, <laughs> to present this to the library. greatest of pleasures to receive it for the library, as you can imagine from what you've heard today. Um, look, the book that you've seen the illustrations from is marvellous, but that's just one journal, and it's a journal that the library acquired in 1995, the, the original manuscript, uh, 20 years after it was compiled, more than 20 years after it was compiled. And it's marvellous, as you will see when you buy the book, and as for those of you who could read the writing, um, Bill Pigeon, the artist, wrote in the, in the Opera House Journal of the commission that the Dobell Foundation had awarded to John that it could not have happened to a nicer bloke. And didn't you feel that today? Um, you, you get a sense of John's journals from the um, photographs that you saw on the screen today... This is a beautiful, very handsome volume um, with its lovely um, marbled uh, covers and its leather binding. John has given us 57 now today, 58 journals, um, starting since 1966. Many of them are very modest. They're written, if, I'm sure... Many of you in, the, in this audience will have had office journals in that red plasticky sort of fake leather covering, fool's cap size. Some of them are in those. Some of them are in much more um, humble, smaller scale office diaries. Um, there are some higher quality uh, sketchbooks and, and, and higher quality journals, but this is definitely the best. Um, John has a fine pen... His, his artistry as a penman is uh, no less than his artistry as an artist. He, um, despite the modesty of the volumes that he used, the contents are stunning. The writing is really graceful, as you can imagine from having heard him speak today, and they are full of thousands of spontaneous sketches as well as deep reflection about his, his experiences, his, what was happening in his life and the creative process of creating art. Some of the volumes mostly contain John's drawings and sketches on a field trip, for example. Um, some contain more text. 
The journals record his travels in Australia and overseas, his work, his immense zest for life. They contain sketch drawings of people, places and animals, wild creatures and, I think, beloved pets. Um, And they're in many media, pencil, ink, gouache, watercolour. What's apparent is his compulsive impulse to draw. There are sketches made on envelopes and stuck into the journals. There are sketches made on bills. Um, There are sketches made on prescriptions. (laughs) All these... And there are many Polaroid photographs, um, the sort of selfie (laughs) of yesteryear. Um, So all of this rich imagery uh, serves as visual notes, I think, for, for later finished artworks as well as feeding the compulsion... The, John's writings are wide-ranging. They're very empathic and they're mostly extremely warm and generous commentary on the art world. Um, they're a really lively and informative record of John's own art practice, his interests and experiences. And, of course, they record the life of a deeply admired and very significant and much-loved Australian. And so with his capacity for thoughtful reflection, for insightful and sensitive observation, for the records of his daily life, what he's reading, what he's eating, um, recipes he wants to cook, um, as well as for the record of his artistic practice, they're the most wonderful and generous gift, and we really are very honoured to have them, and I'm delighted that so many of you could share in in noting uh, John's further generosity in presenting his journals to the National Library today. Thank you. Thank you, Margie, and again, thank you, John. What fantastic news for the National Library. Now you can view John's journals at some time in the future. The the democracy of the National Library is fantastic. We now have time for just maybe one or two questions. If you have a question for John, please raise your hand, and Catherine or Sharon will bring a microphone to you. This event's being recorded, and to ensure that all of the audience um, members also can hear the question, it's important that your questions are asked into the microphone. Is there anyone with a question? Oh, hi. Um, my, name is, my name is Matthew. Um, I'm, I'm a, a local artist from North Canberra, and right now, right, and right now what I'm holding is, a, is some illustrations from, your, from a recent autobiography, recent biographic work of yours. And every, and every chapter I just drew a, drew a moment in, in your life. So, so I, I just can't wait to see, 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 those draw, drawings of, see those drawings of mine. So, you know what? I have a question. Um, I just noticed that earlier in your life you, went to, you, you spent time in the Yass Valley. And there's, so the simple question is, wh- when was the last time you visited Yass? Uh, comprehensively, <laughs> um, uh, a long time ago, um, it, it was uh, like my, my mother took me there, me and my sister, uh, during the war, uh, because of uh, uh, 
uh, it was a dangerous, uh, Sydney was a dangerous place to be in, so she thought, but uh, look, I was about 13, and, it, and being from Sydney, I had the opportunity to walk over the hills, and I had the opportunity of, of uh, the river, and uh, it was a rural experience, and it, it was something that really was very important for me. Thank you. I can't see that. That's lovely. I think it's a little difficult to see from here. Perhaps we might have a look later on. Okay. Thank you very much. Is there another question? Yes, down the front. Oh, yes, along. And that will be the last one. Oh, Mr Olson, the subject of Five Bells, Joe Lynch was himself an artist, a black and white artist, I believe. Do you know anything about his works? No, I know nothing about it. Um, no, um, um, he was also a sculptor, but uh, uh, Slessor admired him very much. Um, that um, uh, 20s-30 period was a very good period of, of, uh, of Australian uh, cartoons and, and satirical drawings. Um, Smith's Weekly, which I mentioned before, um, was really a soldier's newspaper. But they had uh, like uh, oh, eight, eight very, very good, good cartoonists. But uh, it, it, it's a very good question you ask, and uh, and it should be investigated. Okay. Thank you. One very last question at the front. Um, hi, I just wanted to ask you um, about your perspective on a sense of place. I've, I've heard you talk about it and how important it is to you. And I just wanted to ask, is it, is it sort of based around ethnicity or geography or is it simply knowing who you are and where you belong? Yes, it's a, look, <coughs> it's not the primary source that makes Dickens great, but by God it helped. Um, and, and, and if we are familiar, of course we are, with Tolstoy or Dostoevsky, uh, the, the sense of place is the platform from where you speak. It, it, it's by far not everything. It's not. But there is a security in it that you know what you're talking about. Uh, you know, and, and, and I consider... That, that is a very important thing, you see. Uh, the bother in the visual arts at the moment is that this pretending globalisation in which the, the, the ideas of the avant-garde principally come out of, say, Germany at the moment, um, uh, uh, America during abstract expressionism, and uh, uh, London... And um, if we lose our sense of place... You see, uh, Beckett is Irish. And it contains the Irish wit about it. And, and I think that if Beckett had been writing in Australia, he'd be writing about swagmen waiting for Godot. So 
so it, it's, it's only the beginning, but, but I say to young artists, get rooted. <laughs> you could take that both ways. Hey, on that. <laughs> no, no. Thank you for that wonderful question and that extraordinary answer. <laughs> Unfortunately, our time is now up. That brings us to the end of the formalities of today's launch, but we do invite you upstairs for a cup of tea. Copies of My Salute to, the five, uh, My Salute to five Bells are available from the National Library Bookshop. If you're a member of the Friends, a 15% discount as usual. If you're not a member, you will surely think to join today, and you can talk to Dennis upstairs about that on our, on our um, desk but you will still receive 10% discount on all of the books that you purchased this afternoon. Um, John Olson has kindly offered to stay behind and sign copies for us. Uh, copies, not coffees. <laughs> sign copies for us. But um, please join us upstairs for coffee and tea. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Thank you.